This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer and have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of the craft beer industry. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest and the North American continent. It's made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I profile the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence in the international beer scene. If this is your first time here, welcome. I do hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, please feel free to share with your friends and be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. It doesn't cost you anything and you'll never miss an episode. In this episode, I'm in Seattle, Washington, a brewery first of its kind in the state. Flying by Cooperative Brewery has had their doors open for four years now and they're dedicated to crafting great beer and sourcing it all from their local members. I sat down with the board president and their brewmaster. My name is Austin Rude, and I'm the board president of Flying By Cooperative Brewery here in Seattle, Washington. And I am Kevin Forehand. I am the head brewer of the Flying Bike. Now, Flying Bike. Now, um, I do need to put an interesting story here, because apart from many reasons why I'm here, I received an email with an audio demo from you, Austin. Yeah. And you're the first brewery ever to just whip out his phone, record an audio thing, and email it to me. You you have you know, that on your on your website. I know. I was doing I was doing you right. I know. Thank you for reading. Yeah. <laughs> Does like no one do that? Nobody. Really? You're the first one. My goodness. It's only taken me sixty five episodes. Only sixty five episodes. <laughs> I'm 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 shocked. Yeah. Hi, Aaron. My name is Austin Rude. I am a longtime listener of your podcast and the current board president of Flying By Cooperative Brewery. I'm obviously biased, but I think that our brewery and the way that we run it are unique and could be an interesting listen for your subscribers. There's a lot more to tell about Flying Bike and its history, and I think we have a compelling story. I hope you'd be interested in sharing this with your listeners. Thanks. Here we are. We're in Seattle. Beautiful space downstairs. Um, whereabouts in town are we? What's, what's the neighborhood called? The neighborhood is called Greenwood. We're located about, I would say, three miles north of downtown Seattle. Um, we're about a little bit northeast of uh, Green Lake, if you know where that is. About a six-minute drive from the freeway there? Yeah. So that's what it yeah. took me? So, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, it sounds about right. We are a bit north of what I would call like the brewery, uh, the, the Ballard Brewery District, where there's, you know, the 14, the Rubens, the, um, the Stoops, the... I don't know. Urban families. Uh, that's that's in that neighborhood as well. But yeah, so we're in Greenwood where we c- comprise the, the Greenwood Brewery District. Greenwood Central Brewing District. Yeah. We like that's to the, call it. That's know? the actual name, right? The actual. Like, that's the official name, which is name. which by which I mean completely informal and unofficial. <laughs> so uh, how long has uh, this place been established? 
We've been open since 2015, August 2015. So we're coming up on our fourth anniversary here. Um, but uh, the idea of this brewery came about in 2010. So we've had this kind of cooking for a very long time. And listeners of the podcast will know it yeah. takes a while to open a brewery. Yeah. Oh, it sure does. Yeah. yeah. But there's way more to this story than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just, what is it, 12 years, 10 years? It was it was 2010. You don't want me to just like I can I can just yeah, right, let's yeah, hear the yeah, story. Let's, let's just go right into it. So I had to go through like I had to go through our archives because I, I do have to tell this story from time to time. But in 2010, uh, a man named Jeff Hicks, who is member number one in the brewery, he put up a I, I want to say like a Craigslist lad or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, saying that he wanted to get a few folks together to pitch the idea of a cooperative brewery. So this was, you know, mid 2010. And um, he held that meeting in front of 35 people and pitched this idea of having the Disneyland of beer and wanting to raise a million dollars to make this Disneyland of beer. And I think over the next, I don't know, seven months until they incorporated in early 2011, I think they maybe just scaled back that to just like a regular craft brewery the model that you've kind of see today. Um, but they were meeting all over Seattle, including the Houndstooth Pub, which is right across the street. So it was kind of interesting that they were they were meeting all around this neighborhood, but didn't really know that they were going to end up in this space. Mm -hmm. And in mid-2011, they were approached by a brewery, a brewery called Three Skulls, who is down in South Seattle. And uh, they, they wanted to sell to the co-op. By that time, they had incorporated, they have their nine board members, and then they vote five to four not to buy this brewery. And the very next day, they had their first general meeting at this brewery mm -hmm. <laughs> um, who brewed the like their beer for this general meeting. So it was a little bit awkward. Um, just a little. Just a little awkward. And um, because of the five to four vote, Jeff Hicks, who the, the person who came up with this idea, he quit the board, quit flying bike. So um, from that time on, it's we've never had really a, a member number one. We've had member number two and, and forward. <laughs> member 1.2.3. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, members, members number two, number three, that's that's Sean Becker, who is our former board president and uh, Brian, who is also on the board. He was uh, he's also now our, our, our co-op coordinator. He does all of our admin work. And so then uh, what happened from there? Like Jeff leaves and then like who, 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 the momentum's what still going. What happened, yeah. right? So from 2000, uh, basically from 2011 to 2000, I would say the beginning of 2015, they were going through and getting members. Um, they got, to, to even go back in time a little bit, they got the first 300 members in the spring of 2011 very quickly. Those people are called the Thirsty 300 around here. And over the years, they were building, building up membership. They were trying to, you know, gain kind of exposure around around town. And they would do that in the form of going to beer events. They would hold homebrew, um, homebrew days. They would also hold um, what they would do is they would partner with local breweries who were opening. And they'd be like, hey, do you need some, you know, do you need 100 folks to come out and be like your soft opening testers? So for a while, we were doing that. We were going to certain breweries. I think we did that with Pendler. Maybe rooftop. But also our beers were on the market because we were partnering with breweries to make our beer. And That's correct, too. Yeah. yeah. So, so Flying Bike existed as an entity, a legal entity, if you will, before it had a brewery of its own. So a lot of the members of the co-op, needless to say, are home brewers. Mm -hmm. And 
So early on, long before I was involved, great homebrewers were getting together and kind of competing and comparing notes and, and coming up with the great representative beers of styles and uh, coming up with names and having them brewed and putting them on the market, uh, brewed by different local breweries. There were, right, what, so half a dozen? So that'd be like contract brewed or would it be like a nomadic brew where the homebrewer would go? I would it? say um, nomadic brewing is, right. is probably the, the more... Um, Contract brewing yeah. has a negative connotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Partnering with our friends. Partner, yeah, yes. But 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 it was still the homebrewers making those recipes, right? Absolutely. So yeah, but and, um, yeah. And we keep that tradition to to the in the brewery today. So we every year we hold four homebrew competitions, and the the winner of those competitions gets their recipe scaled up and brewed on our system. So two of the the beers that you have in front of you, the Gose. And the stout um, were member recipes. The, the stout, brewed the stout? The, the stout is my wife's recipe right. um, for, for a coffee stout. So, um, oh, okay. It's, it's, Looking forward to getting to that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Gose was an iron brewer competition. It was kind of an open competition. You had to use three of these six ingredients. So this is, a, this is kind of a... Um, and this is Eric Bloom who, who won that competition as well. So it was... Um, we source a lot of our, our recipes from our members. That's mm -hmm. something that's been kind of... It's a cooperative. Yep. Yeah. But... <laughs> Um, Kevin does, uh, I would say, the the bulk of like our beer making, right? As, as far as recipe. Yes, as we continue yeah. to um, acquire member recipes, and, and these home brewers are very serious, mm -hmm. great brewers. I learn a lot from them. And you get told off if you don't make it just right, right? It's uh, for those interested in brewing. I'm sure many of your listeners are. Um, the challenge of having someone, a great homebrewer, come in who has brewed a five-gallon or twelve-gallon recipe and scaling up to seven barrels is a really frightening and uh, entertaining technical challenge. Right, right. I have learned the word nonlinear, <laughs> <laughs> but I just wanted to right. make sure that we understood that we that Flank Bike was selling beer in the market occasionally before. We had a brewery, so it led up to the foundation. You know, the acquisition of the building and the uh, the brewer brewery and a brewer eventually. Yeah, which absolutely, is a good story. Yeah. yeah. So, so we we finally acquired we we acquired this space in late 2014, and we were um, yeah we had been searching around all types of neighborhoods. We were searching around Pioneer Square downtown, mm -hmm. Capitol Hill, also in kind of the downtown area in Ballard, of course. And uh, we found this place, and we we ended up loving it, and we gutted the place, and we have you know we have pictures up on our website about it. But we were building this out. Um, and this is this is where I'm going to hand it over to Kevin because this is this is the story. This is like his his uh, origination story of of the brewery. But we were building it out, and it must have been April or May of 2015, or was it earlier? That, than that? Uh, it would have, was earlier than April, I believe. Oh, okay, so March, something like yeah, that. yeah, I think so. yeah. And you were at you were at the Ram previously. Uh, so I'll just uh, yeah. So so before we get to there, I'll ask you my favorite question, which is uh, how did beer find you? Oh, okay. Do you have an hour and a half? Yeah. No, I, I have a shorter versions. I was already, I, I started homebrewing in my late 20s, in uh, the 80s. Fell in love with it. Some friends of mine came over and, and said, I'm going to, we're going to teach you how to homebrew. And they made a mess in my kitchen. And I was kind of resentful because I thought it was presumptuous and they did make a mess. And in the middle of the morning, I heard this plop, plop, plop sound. And I went out and I saw it fermenting in my kitchen and I've never gotten over it. Um, that's literally true. I just have never gotten over it. And what beer was that? It was a porter. Okay. You know, you start with the 
porters and stouts when you're a home brewer in the 80s because mm-hmm. it's more forgiving. It was a yeah. long time ago. My first was a Munich lager. So. Oh, no. Oh, wow. yeah. no. Wrong, yeah. wrong, wrong. Well, it came out great. Oh, so okay, it well. Was, it was first time lucky, believe me. Second one wasn't so great. All right. I stand corrected. Yeah. It's like golf. That first day, you have one day that's good, and then you spend the rest of your life. That's just kind of everything, though, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So kind of to cut the story short, I used to buy my ingredients uh, downtown. There's a Liberty Malt Supply. It was a homebrew shop on Western Avenue here in Seattle near the waterfront where I worked. And uh, one day I went in there to buy supplies, and uh, they were doing something in the back. And they said, oh, we're building a little brewery. Um, nowadays, it's unsurprising. Mm-hmm. But that was like, are you kidding? There were, what, five or six breweries in the state at that time? Mm-hmm. Mostly um, big, right? Like, Well, Rainier. well, there were, I <laughs> didn't even count the big guys, uh, Olympia and Rainier, late lamented. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Thomas Kemper, mm-hmm. um, yep. uh, uh, Grants, mm-hmm. uh, Hart, uh, Pyramid, yep. Red Hook. Yep. There must be two I'm forgetting. Hales, I think might have been going by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's about it. Okay, some people will, you know, say, how could you forget this and this? But now where are we at? Seven? That's about it. And then there's this. So Charles Finkel, and founder of Merchant Devon, Merchant Devon, who's a beer importer, started this brewery, Pike Place, down on Western Avenue. Tiny little thing. So I just asked them to hire me, and they eventually did. And, and I um, learned to brew professionally on the job. I worked there for seven years. That was in 1990 I began brewing for them or working for them and eventually brewing became the head brewer of uh, big time brewery seattle's oldest brew pub in the university district in 97 worked there for seven years left the country for a couple of years and came back and uh, worked for my friend dick cantwell who i worked with at um, pike and um, started at uh, Allegiant fields their original head brewer down by the stadiums and then went to work for the ram company for another seven years this is a story I believe that Austin is alluding to. So I'm at the Ram, which is a wonderful job, but great company, uh, much maligned, but I always defend them. A uh, great company that gives their brewers freedom, and they have a lot of great brewers making great beer there. I need not apologize. Just because it's in the mall doesn't mean it's not a real brewery. Mm-hmm. Real to the beer. Mall. It's next to. It's not in the mall. It's not like a food court. Yeah, it's food about court. 12 feet separate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not next to the Orange Julius. So I um, I knew that Flying Bike was looking for a brewer. I didn't know anything about it. I was mildly curious. I was driving home one day and I thought, well, I'll turn around because I see that I know where this address is. I'll just go look in the window. Came down and looked in the window and these poor people, from their perspective, they spent all day. It was a very, very long day. They were just ready to be done. And I come and you know, I'm looking in the window and say, well, let's let the guy in. And uh, I just started to talk to them. And, and uh, it's hard for me not to be interested when I walk into a room that has an open trench drain that they're just starting to dig and looking to build the, you know, the, the slab for the brew house. Mm-hmm. Uh, how could I not be intrigued? And, and the more I talked to them, the more I thought I wanted to be a part of it for many, many reasons that turned out to be good reasons. And so here we are today. <laughs> and now here we are. Right. So Flying Bike, what does Flying Bike focus on generally in terms of beers? Or is it just kind of a free-for-all of styles? It's a, it's a good question. We have a seven-barrel brewery. The emphasis is on involving membership. It's something we have worked on from the beginning, even before we had this brew house, a brewery to make beer on. We want a balance of beers available. We have a good range, you know, we have a lot of faucets that we can fill. 
which gives us the ability to brew all kinds of different beers. And as you can imagine, if we have a, an array of great home brewers who want to contribute, we're not going to tell them that we only do X or X or X style of beer. Right, right. And I really think that any decent, you know, tasting room or brew pub, however you want to designate it, you know, should have a wide range, especially this day and age. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got to have your act together and show that you can do everything. And we're beautifully set up to do everything because we have all this talent to draw on. So, I mean, my specialty is ales. I like hops, but, you know, I mean, uh, that's where I start and branch off from there. We have a great assistant brewer, uh, Jesse Young, who brings tremendous um, interest. I mean, enthusiasm and knowledge about brewing. So he's kind of a been our, he's been here for about about a year, and he brings a lot of inspiration as well. And the the main inspiration is from our membership and our customers, many of whom most, but, but a third every day, a third of the people that come in are members. I've worked for a lot of breweries. I've worked for a lot of brew pubs, and you know, made a lot of beer for a lot of people. I really appreciate that our clientele because of the nature of the co-op are tremendously sophisticated and knowledgeable and serious about beer. The kind of people that come in and say, what's new? Yeah. The kind of people who come in and say, a goza, wonderful. Thank you for doing that. I don't have to explain what it is yeah. because they know. Yeah. I mean, how many brew pubs are there where most people who walk in know what a goza is? Mm -hmm. So that's just one example. So as far as what we're emphasizing, what we're trying to do, we're trying to do a, a wide range of things well and to continue to expand that and explore variations on established styles and maybe even the establishment of some. So like to that, then do you have like a core lineup of beers or is that just really just constantly changing? With we do have, well, our core is our Rainmaker IPA, which is our house IPA. Beyond that, we have base, mostly member recipes that have become sort of the old standbys that come and go, but they reappear often. Mm -hmm. So we'll have, uh, for instance, the stout that we discussed, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Austin's wife's a great home brewer. Austin is a great home brewer as well. They kind of, I wonder what those discussions at home. <laughs> it's a, a coffee milk stout that comes and goes. That's an old standby. There are several others I could name. One of our sort of perennial uh, competition winning members is uh, Eric Bloom, who has contributed a great a great Kolsch recipe and now and did the Goza recipe that I was just thinking about and some others, the Porter. Yeah, Thank the you. Porter. So the Porter is actually a great example. Yeah. The Porter, we, we, we won gold for, for that Porter. So it was, it was, we, I think that was last summer. Like we had, we got two medals and one was for one of a, a Brown that you did. And uh, the other was the, uh, the other was the Porter. Yeah. The Washington beer awards. Yeah. So uh, briefly, um, the Rainmaker is always there. There's sort of solid uh, home brewer member recipes that come and go. And then there are sort of styles that sometimes I take over, like an amber. You should always have something that's like an amber. So I sort of take charge of that at this point until we have our, you know, amber competition and I'll get some kind of solid recipe from a member and, and that'll take I think over. you're doing pretty good on that. Yeah, that's I'm, true. I'm I not, would say. I, yeah, I've, I've, I felt like a lot of the... The ambers that you've done, the ambers and browns that you've done have been great. I agree. I, I've really enjoyed um, both of those, especially the browns. I, yeah. Once I discovered that British brown malt, I can't leave it alone. That you just put the bag of that in there and half your work's done. Right. So, uh, Austin, how was uh, opening then? Like, as you already had quite a, a few members, right? So, how was the reception from the local community then? I think that we, um, like most 
and I'll have to caveat that like I am member number 1663. So I got involved actually pretty late in the game. I wasn't I wasn't here for our opening. So this is all this is all kind of like, you know, hearsay. You know, I'm You're the new this. guy. I am the new guy. Right. But I think that we had tremendous amount of of interest because we were like the first co-op brewery in Washington, West Coast. Um, still in still in the Pacific Northwest right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that people were coming down to try to figure out what we were about. And I, I don't know if you can speak to like the um, we had a couple of soft openings. We had a like an opening in like May of 2015, I believe, like the thing that you like had a tour of the brew house. But I, I, I we had 1500 members even before we opened the doors. So I think that there was, I think that people really wanted to see what, what was going on. They wanted hey, to see if hey, I've, I've signed up. Yeah. Or I, is it? Yeah. yeah. I've signed up. I want to see this, <laughs> yeah. you know, I want to yeah. see this open. Everything that I've, I've seen and heard about that has been, you know, we, we were, <laughs> there was a lot of interest from everybody, the, the already established members in, in the greater uh, brewing community were interested and we were a new brewery and we were a co-op and, and, uh, even established brewers and, and appreciators of craft brew were just very interested in the notion of the co-op. And I think, well, I mean, also that it's your place. Like, I, I think it's, you know, Kevin is a, a veteran, right? You know, I mean, he's he's been doing this since 1990. And one of the things that I think that we really benefit from his, his connections. His friend, Dick Cantwell, for instance, like he calls up Dick Cantwell for, you know, I'm like, I, I'm blown away by the, by the fact that he says it so nonchalantly. And, but it, it, it is, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really the case with, with Kevin. He has all of these connections around town, all of these really just, you know, not, I wouldn't say old, like ancient connections, just like, you know, decades of these connections that you have with, with other brewers in town. And I, I we are so lucky to have that by proxy. I, I, I am one of the old guys is what I think Austin is trying not to say. <laughs> um, and it does help because as I said, when I started, there weren't that many of us and the brewing community around here as not that different from a lot of other brewing communities. We've really stuck together. We support each other. So you end up knowing a lot of people and they help you and we help each other. So I, I would say that I have been able to bring that. So where does flying bike go from here? Really? I think that's a, that's a really good question because I think that, you know, in the infancy of your brewery, and I think that most breweries go through this, right? There's a lot of interest the first couple of years. And then there's the, the drop off kind of year three. And I think that, the bike is really as a, as a, I guess, let me back up. I think that we are trying to, we are trying to prove that the co-op model for a brewery is something that is viable and can exist. Yeah. So for us to be, we are like knocking on the door of, of, of being profitable. And I think for a business that's been around three plus years, I think that that's, we're kind of right on target as far as that goes. We don't have any loans to service. We're kind of, we're kind of free of all of those things. And I think it's really right now about spreading our message. I think that when I've poured at festivals for, for flying bike, people don't realize that this, that we exist. We kind of, we're, we're in Greenwood and we're not surrounded by other breweries, just like, you know, like the brewery, the breweries down in, in Ballard. But I think that people finding out about this place and this place exists and um, the sense of community, I think that we're trying to foster here at flying bike. I think we're just starting to tap into that. And I, I certainly think that we're starting to tap into it this year. I mean, our sales have been, uh, our sales have been great in, in 2019. And mm-hmm. I think that 
we're getting over that hump, you know, that kind of sophomore slump that, that a lot of businesses, a lot of breweries go through um, in their first few years of operation. So I'm, I'm really excited about what we're, what we're doing here and the trajectory of what we're, what we're going to do in, in the future. Right. So, I mean, uh, Kevin did bring up a good point because uh, I'm just curious. Um, do you and your wife like hide uh, your sparge temperatures, you know, so you don't share that information there? Are, are, is there that kind of homebrew competitiveness going in there? She is, she is very selective about the beers that she chooses to, to brew. Mm-hmm. And I think that Kevin is born the brunt of some of that. <laughs> like, I mean, he's like, you know, she's hardcore. Yeah. A lot of these homebrewers come in and say, Oh, it's fine. Whatever you say It's like, she's not like that. No, she's, you know, she, she's when she won, I, I, I think that she, she's very particular about, about the ingredients that went into it. When there's that a reason beer. her beers are great. Yeah. So, and she has some very, she has some very like specific ideas on, on what she likes. I love that about her. Like that, that she's willing to, you know, she, she, she comes in here and, and like talks to Kevin and, and like, and she doesn't apologize for what she likes at home. I brew everything, you know, I mean, I, I, and why I say everything, like I, I don't have any, um, specific style. It's kind of what I'm feeling, what I think that we should do. But, um, she's, um, she's very specific about the, about the things that she homebrews. Well, um, well, I did have four and there's now three beers in front of me. Um, so kind of walk through this, uh, painting a, a word picture here. So this first beer, what was this Kevin? And, um, it was delicious as, I mean, I finished it, but that's the (laughs) German lager with Bavarian lager strain. And, uh, when I first brewed it, the batch before this, we did do a cask version of it, which we thought of as a Keller slash Zwickel beer Mm -hmm. for the cask festival here in Seattle, which is a yearly thing. So I call it a Zwickel beer. There may be some of your listeners to that are objecting that I'm misusing the word, but my research tells me it's just unfiltered lager, sometimes poured a little young. So I'm just going to take it, especially since I'm so proud of having thought of the name flying bikes, Zwickel. So, (laughs) It's too good a name to apologize for having misnamed the style. So that's our bicycle, bikes, flying bikes we call It's a light German lager, essentially. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that yeast strain is uh, really rapid, like in a shorter... It's user-friendly, mm-hmm. I have found. Yeah. I like that word. I got to use that word for to describe yeasts in the, in the future. Friendly? User-friendly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's hard to do lagers in a... Lagers take time. And um, often in a little brewery, a crap brewery, where you're kind of on a schedule trying to make beer in quantity, there's no place to put it in the corner and leave it alone for two months. So you need your yeast to be your friend. Yep. So the second one here. um, Austin, how would you describe that color? I would describe the color as juicy. <laughs> like I would say, I mean that's 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 really what I what I see when I look at that at that beer. I saw that a couple nights ago when I was here, and the hazy was it was I, I, for some reason it almost was hazier than than it is now. But um, I mean it's hazy, but it's not like that thick like orange juice carton like bright yellow kind of thing that some hazy beers are. Yeah, like there's there's a bit of depth to it. Yeah, so, yeah. And then what beer is this? This is the Willowall Hazy IPA. Um, we've been brewing what we've kind of settled on, and I don't know if this will continue. And just like just like Kevin says, it's um, every time someone comes in here, we have something new on tap. And I, I've loved that about this brewery. 
right now we've kind of settled on a, a bigger hazy, something in the you know six to seven percent range, and then kind of a a, a lower alcohol um, hazy in the in the four to five percent range. So this is our our, our bigger hazy, I would say. And uh, Jesse's been been really. Um, instrumental in in helping us kind of up our hazy game i would yes he has and we've we've worked a lot and hazes are the thing unlike many brewers i do not object to the style Mm -hmm. i think they're delicious it's what i drink i love brewing them well they're becoming more refined now right like i think i think there was it was so new that nobody quite knew how to really dial it in i think it still is that way it's not dialed in and you're exactly right and here we've kind of established a way practically speaking to be able to brew these beers in this brewery and we've kind of evolved our own take on it mm-hmm. which is what some other people are doing there yep. it's a little more bitterness going on a little drier not quite as sort of uh, uh you know some of the moving away from the juicy name into the hazy name so yeah, it's yeah. it's not necessarily so thick and sweet and juicy that you love it it's of course it's incredibly delicious but when you're halfway through that pint you kind of wonder if you want to have another one so it's just a little bit drier and, and a lot of people are moving that way. And, and so we have, uh, as Austin said, we've settled into practice of having two hazes available, one quite low alcohol, which I, I want to pursue this. I love the idea of a hazy session. Oh, you know, yeah. I would love to get it's now we're down flirting at five, even into the high fours, low fours as percentage. I'd like to get into the threes. I was just thinking about this the other day. Why not? I mean, that beer does not need alcohol in it particularly. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the perfect barbecue beer. Like just Exactly. Yeah. You don't have to worry about a low alcohol beer being too thin in body yeah. when it's a hazy you just yeah. load it up i'm sorry i'm getting a little bit you know no. going off on my nerdy okay. technical no. brewer I, I, thing. i'm sure there's some that are listening that are, uh, appreciate this all right yeah, good go. and then we kind of counter that by having a more or less 6.8 percent hazy ipa yeah. that's the one we play with with the hops a lot the the our little sessiony hazy it's mostly el dorado and mosaic right now, uh, the next one here, you, both of you have been talking this up like nothing. This is the Goza. So, yeah. Uh, so this is, so this is a, a member winning beer. The nose already. I'm like, yes, please. Yeah. So it has, so it, so we had a competition where you had to use six ingredients and this was a member competition last fall. And I think Eric used, no, was it two? No, it was three. I think Eric used four of the ingredients in this. So it contains, um, sage, Mm. It contains um, blackberry, blackberry, sage, and coriander. Yeah. Um, So he put together, I I think his, he had a a great recipe. He's a great brewer. And I think the, I think the Gose is special and and arrived just in time. I think for something that's spruce tips where, you know, you're harvesting spruce tips in, you know, May, um, late April, that kind of thing to have something like this, that's refreshing. It's nice for summer. I'm, really looking forward to having it all summer and like the nose on it it's like first i get the spruce tips but then that the sage kind of comes in after that which is very interesting so this is one of those things where i get my eyes get really wide you know it's like here it is kevin here's your winning recipe all you got to do is brew a blackberry spruce tip sage (laughs) coriander kettle sour goza could could you do that right away please no good luck (laughs) so uh, with the incredible help of uh, Jesse and, of course, Eric Bloom, the brewer who came into the winning brewer, and he came in and helped us. It's not his first winning recipe. We have a kind of a partnership going at this point. We pulled it off, and 
boy, it was a long process of figuring out how to do all of these things. Spruce tips just... But that's, that's the scale problem, right? It is very much a scaling problem. But it's also, where do you get five pounds of fresh, of fresh spruce tips? And uh, just one word, Etsy. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> Etsy. Etsy. The, the brewer's magic warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Finally coming to the last one here on my little flight, uh, your wife's coffee yeah. stout. So. so so the coffee stout, and I'm going off the, you know, the 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 one that she won with, but um, it's made with uh, local coffee from from broadcast coffee mm-hmm. and uh, local grain. So we we buy for at least for this recipe. I don't know if um, I don't know the grain bill on some of these other ones, but the grain bill comes from Skagit Valley uh, malting. Yep. So um, great guys up there. Yeah, as a home brewer, I personally love using their their malt, but um, and that's why this was kind of chosen. It was kind of we kind of had some Maris Otter in mind, but um, so the whole the whole coffee recipe, the whole coffee stout recipe, was really made to to sort of um, have this bright coffee balanced off with all a, lot, a lot of the roastiness that's happening in the stout and the and the lactose that you have to add. So mm-hmm. it was it was a fun it was a it was a fun um, beer to brew and it's i think it's actually extremely versatile you know they've added chocolate over the years they've put it on nitro they've done it um without the coffee and just in the milk stout i've done versions where you goose up the grain bill and you make an imperial version of it i'm sure you could add chocolate or i don't know orange or Ooh, some coconut. orange in this would be nice. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's it's a special recipe. They um they put this in bourbon barrels, and we've 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 done you know special a really special like barrel aged version of it. So I think it's it's I I, I love this beer. I I love it. Like, and um a, a lot of our a lot of our um <laughs> a lot of our members do too. I mean, though my wife is not in the brewery, you know, not on a weekly basis, not certainly as much as I am, but they will come and track her down and tell her how good this this beer is. So, um it's she's sort of a, you know, she's sort of a local celebrity. I'll it's a that. very sturdy recipe and we have played multiple variations on it, none of them without your wife's explicit permission. <laughs> <laughs> Get that on record. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody wants to become a member here, how do they how do they do that? Um, it's actually quite easy. You you can sign up through our website. Um, it said we have really two membership options. We have a lifetime membership, which is two hundred dollars, and it gets you kind of a, a variety of benefits: uh, two dollars off growler fills, a uh, dollar off growler fills, um, two dollars off pints in the in the brewery. We have these exclusive member events, tasting events around the brewery. You can buy grain for uh, for discounted. You know, we were uh, you know we came from home brewers, so a, a lot of the discounts are kind of home brewer friendly. Kind of a nod back to the community. It is. But um, we also have um, happy hour pints every day until seven o'clock. We we like to think it's more than just a a mug club. You do get a lot with your with your two hundred dollars. So that and that's lifetime. That's not a yearly thing. Um, we also have a um, a membership, a joining membership program that you can pay fifty dollars and then pay your uh, membership in installments over you know however you can afford it uh, until you get up to the two hundred dollars and then you're and then you're a full member. So um, you can sign up through our website flyingbike.coop or um, you can sign up through the bar downstairs. Um, that's also another. That's also another way, but uh, most of our membership comes from our website. Sweet. Kevin, what would be some uh, advice that you could give homebrewers to make better beer? Like just a couple simple tips there. Yeah. Um, I don't think anything I have to say would be a surprise to a homebrewer. The 
difficulties at home have to do with temperature control of fermentation, mm -hmm. uh, adequate yeast pitching, mm -hmm. and oxygenating. Uh, that's like one, two, and three. And when you have a home brew and, and it's not quite right, often it comes down to one of those things. So get a good yeast pitch, whether you do it yourself. Uh, don't be afraid to visit your local brewery. Be nice to them. Don't bother them. Contact them ahead of time. You might get to the point you'll you'll bring in a little uh, sanitized yeast jar and get a perfect two-pint pitch and your problems are over as far as that concerns. Right. That's, that's concerned. Um, oxygen is also difficult. I mean, picking up your carboy and shaking it actually does work, but there are um, you know, things that you can acquire that allow you to uh, inject oxygen um, or filtered air into your wort as you're transferring into your fermenter. And the other is control of that fermentation temperature. It's, you know, I have the advantage of glycol jacketed tanks. It's a wonderful thing to have as a brewer. I just set the temperature of my fermentation and go home. Boy, it would be great if you could do that at home. And there are certain tricks. And what I did as a home brewer, I used to just like pick up my carboy and I put it in a big Rubbermaid container, which I filled with water. And I would control the temperature of that water, which you could do by heating it or cooling it, both of which can be done. So those three things, um, if you're looking to take the next step, um, do those three. And if somebody was wanting to open up a brewery for themselves, what would be some advice you could give them? Don't! All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, be prepared. Know who your customers are going to be. Get a business plan. Uh, be realistic. This is the business side of it, which is not my side of it. I'm going to, Austin knows more, but I will say that because I've known so many of my friends who have done this, um, what happens is you underestimate by a third to a half how much money you're going to need so that you're two thirds of the way there, but you run out of money and that's a failure. Or you have too much confidence that you're going to be able to maintain your timeline and inevitably there will be a delay. It's often a year and that's a really long time you're frustrated you're doubting yourself and you're bleeding money you're so paying rent on a place that you can't you make money off of yeah I'm like paying a yeah. brewer who's not brewing you're you're pay paying all kinds of things so and it happens over and over and over again take it seriously you know that's the business side of it it's not all fun uh, just be prepared Anything to add there? Yeah, no, I, I would say, I mean, the, the old adage is what, like double, double the amount that you, that, that you've budgeted and double the time or, you know, triple the time that it takes. We, we opened from the time we signed this lease till we opened, that was eight months. And I, I think that that was quite, quite, that was spectacular. Yeah. And we had, but we had, you know, a hundred people from, from which to, to, to build from, you know, like build out this brewery. So, I mean, we don't, that's what flying bike is, is so blessed with is the fact that we have so many members that like, you know, something goes wrong in the brewery, you know, like when we had the, when the, when we had the whole keg washer situation, they, they came over and fixed it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. we, we, we asked our, the, our trusted members and they came over and fixed that. So it's great to have connections, who, people who can do, do that sort of thing. People who are accountants, I'm a CPA by day, um, and, and your lawyers, like your three. So if you have, you have to have those people like in your back pocket, you have to have friends or, or, or people who really know that because 95% of it's not brewing. 
really, right? It is uh, doing paperwork, paying your taxes, working with, you know, like if you have music licensing, talking to your, it's, it has nothing to do with, with <laughs> operating, uh, like what you the think. The beer is of, the easy part. Right? Yeah, the okay. beer is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say the beer is the easy part because the, <laughs> like, the beer is, is to do it on a seven barrel system and do it consistently mm-hmm. is very difficult. Yes. I think that uh, like there are a lot of breweries that have maybe one or two great beers and, you know, they try to do like the whole kind of gamut like we do. And, you know, they'll inevitably fail at a, at a, at a couple of those of those styles. But I think really having all of those those things in place. But I think on the money side, you know, people talk about like having your your budget to, to build out. But I think that being like being fully capitalized and having having enough runway to survive the first two or three years and maybe you're not profitable that's i think where 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 brewers brewers in general have issues and that can be like i i came from you know kind of a restaurant accounting background but um i think that if you can get into a place that has has low overhead low rent you're gonna like six percent of whatever your projected sales are somewhere in that neighborhood you're going to be doing good or you at least have the the shot at, at, at being good. So, but have enough money so that you can operate in in the red for a few years before you know you really get your footing within the community. Unless you're the only game in town, and then you can you can go right ahead and start making money. But um, it takes a while to get a following, and you know even here we have a great tap room and we have a lot of street presence. And I think it's taken us you know three years to get going. So I mean, it looks like it's been fairly redeveloped too in the neighborhood and and, yeah, and it's going to well, it's right? it's going to be even more redeveloped we're going to have you know a bunch of apartments that are going to be rising up around us you know and uh, to think about this place is like the local you know watering hole um we like to think of ourselves as like the cheers of of seattle and to have that kind of community space um where where people can gather and, and people can have this be their third place is is really important and i think that um, people are going to gravitate towards this in the future so it's, it's it's just sticking around and, and, and making it to tomorrow. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for your time. I like, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Thanks, Aaron. I can't thank Austin and Kevin enough for their time. Really do appreciate it, guys. And uh, the beers were absolutely delicious. And I'm really going to have to try and schedule some time to regularly be in Seattle and just see all the great beers and they're rotating through. I can't wait to go back and visit. This episode was made possible by supporters on Patreon of this podcast. If you want to support, you can for as little as a dollar an episode. Just head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian beer. If you haven't already, please sure you're subscribed to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Cascadian beer. We're on Twitter at Cascadian beer and on Instagram at Cascadian beer podcast. For more information about the breweries or, you know, listen to some previous episodes of the podcast, you can head to the website, cascadian.beer. Thank you so much for your time for listening today. I really do appreciate it. And until next time, remember, support your local.